Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Janet Ivanovich is the author of 29 novels in the Stephanie Plum series. And today I'm talking to Janet about her new Stephanie Plum book, Going Rogue. Janet Ivanovich, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, your Stephanie Plum books are full of great characters, but let's start with Stephanie. For those who might not know Stephanie Plum, she's a bail bonds enforcement officer. In your very first Stephanie Plum novel, One for the Money, she was, I quote, selling bargain basement ladies undies. But over the course of nearly 30 novels, she's become a bail bonds enforcement officer. Now, that's quite a journey. Was the shaping of Stephanie as a character always going to be a long-term project? Um, yeah, but I, I I never really thought of it as being this long. <laughs> I started out as a romance writer, and I was writing these little romances. And I would write, you know, two, three, sometimes four a year, depending on how bad I needed the money. I really had a desire to stay with a character. I, I knew that I wanted to move out of romance into the crime genre. And I wanted to stay with my character. I want to see my character develop. And so... Um, it was always meant to be a series. I never really thought I would have this kind of success that, you know, it's like, be careful what you wish for, because um, I'm now writing the 30th in the series. And, you know, it's it's a lot of books. Let's talk about Stephanie's job description. It goes something like this. I spend a lot of time in smelly, bad neighborhoods chasing down smelly, bad people, and there is no prestige attached to it. Bail bond enforcement is on a level with cesspool maintenance and grey robbing when it comes to public opinion. It sounds like a rough and thankless profession. Is Stephanie Plum still up to the job? Yeah, I think she's up to the job more than ever. Um, she started out knowing nothing and um, getting by on luck and determination and the help of some friends. And over the years, she's actually acquired some skills. Um, and I think this book is a book of realization. She finally comes to the conclusion that she's not actually such a bad um, bond enforcer anymore. She um, actually, you know, is pretty successful at it. She gets her man. That was a, a fun thing to give to Stephanie in this book, the self-knowledge that she was good at this job. And now one of the reasons why Stephanie has been so popular over the years is because she's she's very average. She's just like lots of us who go through life putting one foot in front of the other and never really aspiring to do something, I, I hesitate to say special, but for lack of a better word, um, you know, we get locked in a job uh, like me. I mean, I have the world's best job, but nevertheless, I've been writing this series for 30 years and you um, you acquire some skills and you get to be a little bit better at it. But there are times when, you know, you're thinking to yourself, there has to be something else in life besides this, besides chasing down, you know, these nasty bad guys all the time. But, you know, Stephanie, her problem is if she doesn't do this job, she's not sure what she should do. 
she wasn't born with a desire to be anything, you know, other maybe than um, Spider-Man. She would like to be a superhero. She, you know, Indiana Jones. Okay. She could, she could grab onto that one. So she has this, this job, which is a job, but she's, she's actually quite heroic, I think, because she has the job at least, and she does it to the best that she can. And she makes her rent payment. And um, most of the times she affords to feed herself. Sometimes she has to go home and mooch food from her parents. That's just like, you know, probably 80% of the people out there who get locked into a lifestyle and a job and go in every day and and do the best that they can and put food on the table and and a roof over um, their family's head. And, you know, and I, I think that's, that's pretty heroic right there. So I, I think of Stephanie as being, you know, a small hero. She's she's like a hero in a closet. <laughs> and Stephanie's world is full of great characters. I'm going to mention a few. Joe Morelli. Joe Morelli is Stephanie's boyfriend. <laughs> he has Sicilian DNA and he looks good even when he's wet, says Grandma. Joe and Stephanie used to play choo-choo together as children. Now, I wondered, what are the rules of choo-choo? Do they still play choo-choo? And how often do they play? Um, well, they probably play as often as they can. I think there was one part where I said that um, they still play choo-choo, but Morelli has gotten better at it. Um, the thing about choo-choo is, them, I mean, this was when they, they were little kids. I think Stephanie was maybe five and Morelli was seven, something like that. And, um, and he led her into his father's garage and um, they played choo-choo and it was always dissatisfying to Stephanie because she was always the tunnel and she never got to be the train. Morelli was the train all the time. <laughs> and so they, they, um, they still play choo-choo, but uh, they've, you know, they've acquired uh, more skills at it. The other man in Stephanie's life is Ranger Ricardo Carlos Manoso a.k.a. Ranger. The, uh, now, she describes him as perfectly toned and supremely skilled in just about everything. Okay, he didn't cook, at least not in the kitchen, but it was magic in all the other rooms. Where does Ranger fit into Stephanie's life and into this story? Well, there are these two men, you know, as, as you mentioned, Joe Morelli. Joe Morelli is a cop. He's a good cop. He has a house that he inherited from his aunt. He has a dog. He has a toaster. He started out as being a bad kid. He was a little wild, went into the Navy, came out, and he's achieved a certain amount of maturity. This other guy, Ranger, Ranger is the man of mystery. He's very skilled. He's good at everything. He's, he's a little dark. He um, dresses in black. He has uh, expensive, flashy cars. We're not sure where they come from. He has evolved from he used to be a bounty hunter like Stephanie. Um, he was formerly special forces. Um, and now he has his own security business, very high end. He's very successful. These two men kind of represent the fantasy and the reality for a lot of women, even if we don't admit it. There's, there's the guy that you want to marry, Joe Morelli. But then there's this other guy who is the fantasy guy that you think about from time to time because he represents a little danger. He's mysterious. 
he's extremely sexy, he's good looking, you know. And so um, she has these two guys. The difference is that while for most of us, we have the Joe Morelli and we fantasize about Ranger, she has she has both of them. Ranger is real in the world of Plum. And so she sort of can't commit to either of these. And in all honesty, neither of these men really wants to commit either. They're um, pretty happy by, even though Joe Morelli has a house and, and a dog and a toaster, he also replaced his dining room table with a billiard table, which tells you something about, about Morelli that he hasn't quite made it, you know, in terms of husband material. So Stephanie um, can't really, she, she has these two guys that she kind of can't really decide between. And, you know, the reality is, is that this is fiction and she doesn't have to. And as a fan, you know, because I'm a fan besides being the writer, um, I mean, I don't have to decide either. Sounds like Stephanie has the best of both worlds. And it's a very colourful world. More characters. Vinny, who owns and runs the Bow Bonds office. He's got a gambling problem and used to keep a racehorse in the backyard until the neighbours complained. There's Lula, a former hooker who works at the Bow Bonds office and says she looks excellent behind a desk, does whatever she wants. Then there's Connie, who we'll talk about in a moment, but she can't live without Boston Cream Donuts. And then there's the grandmas, two grandmas, two familiar characters who get a bit more involved in this story than previous ones, uh, especially Stephanie's grandma, who carries a gun in her handbag because it adds weight to the handbag when she swings it at someone's head. And by the way, grandma hardly ever goes into strip clubs. <laughs> so she's a great character and plays a bigger role in Going Rogue. But is grandma a help or a hindrance to Stephanie's work in solving this mystery? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I think she's she's probably a help. Grandma is an interesting character. When I started the series, I sort of patterned her after a lot of older women on television, Estelle Getty, and 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 then when One for the Money was made into a movie, they cast Debbie Reynolds as Grandma, and Debbie Reynolds had her own take on it because Debbie Reynolds was Noah Estelle Getty, and. I looked at that movie and I thought, oh, my God, that's who grandma should always have been. I liked it much better. So I've started moving grandma away from um, the the older woman image into, you know, the newer, hipper grandma. And but the thing about grandma is she's she's of an age where she feels like she really can do whatever she wants. She's she's kind of beyond worrying about things. And if she wants to wear um, biker clothes, you know, and, and ride a motorcycle. She's going to if she, if she wants to go to a strip club, you know, and and ogle. She likes the men. She likes when the male dancers come into town. So grandma is sort of like she's she's like the person that I want to be when I grow up. You know, I want to be grandma. She's a composite. She's really a composite of my grandma Fanny and my aunt Lena. Um, they. They were both women who had a real zest for life. They were very joyful. They had energy. They had strong personalities. And my aunt, um, my aunt Lena, uh, lived in this little town where I grew up in South River, New Jersey. And they, we didn't have a lot of entertainment in that town, but we had two funeral parlors. And so, in the afternoon, all the women in the neighborhood would come over and coffee clutch with Aunt Lena. And they would read over the obits and decide who they were going to go see at night. 
And so, you know, I gave this to Grandma Mazur that um, that this is, you know, this is her form of entertainment because that, that really comes right out of my childhood. The story begins, or the story really begins with Connie, the bail bonds office manager, and Connie goes missing. Where is Connie? Connie's been kidnapped, and um, it's all about a coin. When you're arrested and you don't want to sit in jail and wait for your trial, which could take weeks, you can post a, a bond, a, a cash bail bond. If you don't have the money, you go to a bail bonds officer um, like um, like Vinny, the, um, the man that um, Stephanie works for, who happens to be her cousin. Um, and so if you don't have the money, um, you can um, sign away your car, your house, whatever valuables you have, according to however much your bond amount is. And so they have a storeroom with all of assorted things in it. Um, um, that's how the racehorse got in Vinny's backyard. And uh, as it turns out, um, truly by sort of by accident, somebody gave um, Vinny a very valuable coin, and the coin got passed on. Um, I don't want to tell too much about it because I don't want to ruin it for the readers. But we are really following the path of this coin, and people want it very, very badly. There's some really bad guys in here, and they need the coin. And so they have captured Connie, um, hoping to hold her as hostage um, so that um, the bail bonds office will give up the coin. Of course, the bail bonds office doesn't have the coin. And um, there goes our story. The book is set in Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, if I were to take a stroll around Trenton, what would I see and experience? Uh, stroll around Trenton. Trenton, um, downtown Trenton, is um, kind of a gritty little city. Um, it's, you know, a lot of um, cement and office buildings and, and shops. And surrounding it are neighborhoods suburbs, um, just like, you know, uh, you, you would have in Australia, um, where Stephanie's, where a lot of the action takes place is this little suburb called the Berg. Um, they're very modest houses. Um, in my book, it's a, a community of second and third generation um, people from Italy and Hungary and, um, you know, various um, parts of the world, uh, hardworking, uh, blue collar uh, and so, um, and so there are these neighborhoods that that are scattered right around Trenton city center. The bonds office is um, on sort of the demarcation line between um, Trenton city and this little community where Stephanie was born and her parents still live in the Berg. So it's um, it's on a street kind of straddling these two worlds. Now, I'm a little concerned about uh, the diet of the people in Trenton and the Berg and, and your cast in general. Pizza is comfort food, meatball sandwiches, 12-layer chocolate cake, and what seems like acres of cannoli. I feel like a heart attack is just around the corner for some of them. But I've got to ask you about your favourite snack, and what exactly is a butterscotch crimpet? Ah, oh, butterscotch crimpet. Okay, let's see. I don't know how this translates into um, Australian. Uh, Butterscotch Crimpet, there's this, this company who produces packaged desserts. 
And one of the desserts um, that I have eaten since I was a hundred years ago, when I was a little girl, there have always been butterscotch crimpets. It's made by Tasty Cake. And they're um, a sponge cake um, may, that maybe is in the shape of a fat hot dog. And it's a, it's a yellow sponge. And then it has butterscotch icing on the top of it. And it comes in a pack of two. And um, I and I, I grew up on these things, so I love you know butterscotch crimpets, and then um, there are uh, cheese doodles, um, which are the same as Cheetos. I don't know. Do you have Cheetos? Yes, we have Cheetos or something similar. Okay, so I cannot write a book without Cheetos and wine. When I uh, I like I'm fine. I'm fine in the beginning of the book. I get to about two thirds through the book, and I'm always behind. I'm off my deadline, and I'm in a panic. And then they start um, throwing bags of chips into my office at me, you know, and about four o'clock, you know, somebody comes in with a glass of wine when I know I have no more ideas, but you give me Cheetos and a glass of wine and I'm brilliant. I'll tell you, I am funny. I, I can, I figure out ways to murder people that you could never even contemplate. I, it's just all those synapses, you know, going together with the, and then, and then at the end, when I'm all done with the book, I've got all this orange Cheeto dust in my computer keyboard. Every time I'm done with the book, I have to buy a new keyboard because it's always filled with Cheeto dust. No, food food is very important in the book because food is very important in, I, I think, in everyone's life, really. And it tells you a lot about the people that you're talking about. It tells you, um, is it a melting pot? Do they have foods from all over the world? Do they... Do they eat bad food, you know, like um, like Cheetos and and all fast food or do they cook? Does a housewife make her own apple pie uh, at least once in a while? So um, we learn a lot about people and their habits. And if they sit down to a table together or do they, you know, all go out to eat at McDonald's or whatever. Um, so, yeah, no, food is an important part of the book. I've only got one more question for you. You've been writing Stephanie Plum novels since 1994, and the big feature for me has been the invention and the reinvention of your very colourful characters. And you write with such affection for all your characters as if you're a member of the family, this extended family, I guess, that reaches right into the neighbourhood of Trenton and the Berg, and the dialogue is so sharp and immediate. Do you live with your characters on a daily basis? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that I live with them. You know, because, you know, they are fictional. So, um, but when I get up in the morning um, and I take my coffee and my little dog and I go into my office and I get to go into that world that I've created because that's what we do as a writer. We, we create worlds. And this is the best part of my day because I get to get up and go into that world of plum. In a manner of speaking, I do live with her. I spend a lot of time writing. I mean, I'm... I'm not a fast writer. It takes a lot of thinking for me to get a couple sentences on the screen. So I spend a lot of hours at the computer and um, and I see it. I see it like a movie. I mean, I do see my characters walking around and talking. Um, I learned how to write dialogue by doing improv on the stage. I didn't have any skills and I was very bad at writing dialogue. And I had a friend who um, taught improv classes 
And she made me get up there and do this. And that's how I did it. And I still sort of carry that around. I walk in Stephanie's skin, you know, when she's up against a, a sticky situation, I think to myself, well, what would I do? How would I act? What would I say? So in, in a manner, I, I do, you know, live with my characters. Um, but um, but then, you know, when their time is up, <laughs> they stay in the office. They don't necessarily continue on in my life. Janet Ivanovich, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. And thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you. It's been great. I've been talking to Janet Ivanovich about her new Stephanie Plum book, Going Rogue. It's published by Headline, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Good Reading Print and Online Magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.